Uh, so, mm. um, this is the final episode in our Israel. Gaza Palestine conflict fucking series extravaganza. Um correct. But it 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 bears mentioning that uh there was an anniversary this weekend. There was an anniversary this weekend of uh the Ukraine conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh two years, two fucking years that's been going on. Wild. Which is wild. Um clearly, vividly I remember. Uh, the unease which it, it caused in me, the unease which has kind of been sat there uh, festering ever since. Mm, yeah. Um, it it hasn't gone away. Uh, sure. The 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 disconnect, the disreality, if that's a term, uh, of you know being stuck in traffic on the way home from Birmingham and and listening to kind of rational and and just completely free of of hyperbole and and just discussions of nuclear war on radio for mm. fucking right. it was cool that's fun yeah it was it was it was horrific and the fact that that conflict is now two years old um i think bears some discussion what has occurred yeah. in those two years what has what has been the toll of those two years um mm. it might not shock you to hear that uh by all accounts russian state media largely swerved the anniversary uh <laughs> didn't really mention much of it didn't say anything <laughs> about the progress of the air quotes special military operation uh for whatever reason whether that's you know it's it's thus far it's failure to achieve right. its aims mm -hmm. uh whether it's to avoid talking about the human costs um opposition media in russia uh estimate that around seventy-five thousand russian military personnel have died in ukraine since the start of the invasion okay since how many seventy-five thousand russian personnel wow look at what happens when the u.s gives <laughs> gives money to fight the uh occupier mm. yeah well Wild. <laughs> more on that more on that more on that shortly um Seventy-five thousand—that's yes. insane. That's that's horrendous. I mean, like, you know, those are people. That's a lot of people. Uh, I'm, I haven't even begun yet Jesus to talk Christ. about horrendous. If you want to mm. talk about horrendous, fucking, stay tuned, dear listeners. Okay. Um, military casualties in Ukraine are less easy to come by. Mm, okay. Um, only. This last weekend, did the the uh, Ukrainian president talk about what the 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 uh, Ukrainian impact was? There was a a forum in Kiev this last weekend where uh, Vladimir Zelensky told uh, attendees that some thirty one thousand Ukrainian soldiers have been killed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um But. To a I lot wanna, of people, but comparatively much fewer. It's a fuck ton. It's an absolute fuck ton. But I, I want to talk more about the civilian impact. Mm. This uh, is going to be a theme today because that's absolutely what I'm going to talk about when we get into Gaza as well. Is you know okay. there is this there's war, right? The yep. military people fighting each other and what that is. But then there's the whole other thing yes. of the people who are just trying to live. And civilians you know, are then 
caught up in this. Families. People trying to fucking just grind out a living. Farming people. Uh, communities. Let's talk first about refugees, okay? okay. Um, this is the last update from the 15th of February. So very, very fresh data. Uh, they, just in Europe, in Europe, there have been 6 million 4,100 uh, 4, refugees from Ukraine recorded in Europe. That's 6 million Ukrainians. How big is Ukraine? I feel like Ukraine is a lot bigger than I was giving it credit for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, know what, like, clearly. the population is? Uh, I don't. If you give me a sec, I can fucking, I can fucking find that out. <laughs> we, we have the tools to find out how many we people sure are in do. Ukraine. Because uh, 6 million is a lot of refugees. What if I said 43.8 million? Wow, yeah, a lot bigger than I thought it was. Yes. Okay. And uh, just over 6 million of those are displaced in Europe. Okay. Um, 475,500 recorded Ukrainian refugees beyond Europe, so in the wider sure. world. So mm -hmm. that's uh, just almost a, almost bang on 6.5 million Ukrainian people have, have fled the country. Okay? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to civilian deaths... Uh, and, you know, obviously there are obstacles to getting accurate civilian casualty data, lots of verification yeah, of challenges, you know, lack of transparency on, on, on both sides, uh, yeah, different organizations, different sources providing different info. I've gone with the uh, Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. Okay. Sounds at least like, you know, you're going to be in the right ballpark. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. They're meticulous about uh, verification mm. and... They, you know, it, it's, it's, this is about as close to legit as you're going to get, right? Okay. So as of February the 15th, there have been uh, 10,582 civilians killed. In, just in Ukraine or in? Ukraine, in... Ukrainian okay. civilians. Ukrainian okay? civilians, 10,000 killed in two years. 10,500 killed in the last two years. That's almost okay. 10,000 adults and 587 children. Now, in terms of injuries... Way, way, way higher. 19, oh, I'm sure, yeah. 19,875 injured civilians. Uh, 18,500 of those are adults. Uh, 1,200 or so children. So the killed or injured so far gives us a total of 30,457 people killed or injured. Yeesh. All right? That's a fucking mm. ridiculous figure, a colossal figure. It is, yeah. Now, that skews very heavily towards men. Um whether you know lots of whether that's you know men are more likely than women and children to to you know to go to the front line yeah. uh you know women and children more likely to flee front lines even the country from the violence mm -hmm. but yeah i'm sure a lot of people like send their families away exactly they this can't go exactly this but i want to what i really want to focus on is the means by which that thirty and a half thousand people have been killed or injured. The the some of the fucking chief causes of this death and injury to the civilian population. This is literally exactly what I'm going to do <laughs> during this uh -huh. as well. So, man, okay. we managed to be right on target with each mm. other in our our talks today. But go on. Uh, buckle up, friends. I apologize if this isn't the most cheery Joag you've ever heard. But this is our mission. This is what we have to do. Uh, the Office of the UN High Commission of Human Rights classifies the biggest loss of life and the biggest cause of injury as 
uh, occurring through explosive weapons with wide area effects. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, these have been responsible for killing almost 9,000 and injuring uh, almost 19,000. So this is, yeah, that really is the vast majority of the yes. people who've been killed. Yes. Uh, so we're talking shelling from artillery tanks, uh, MLRs, which are multiple launch rocket systems, mm. cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, airstrikes, including also, quote, loitering munitions and other unmanned aerial vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, 78% of these injuries occur near the front line. Artillery shells, airdrop bombs. So are and... these like like cities that are just close? To, like what yes. what is the front line of the the conflict here? Like... Larger populated areas. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Towns and mm -hmm. cities, disproportionately affecting uh, older people, aged mm -hmm. civilians, those sure. who are either aren't able or aren't willing to leave their homes. People over sixty. Right. Fucking mad. People over 60 make up 36% of civilian casualties, even though they only represent 25% of the population. Wow. And to talk about how how these injuries occur, shrapnel wounds, amputations, burns, uh, internal organ damage, yeah. uh, completely overwhelming infrastructure, hospitals, uh, lifelong disability as a cause, requiring ongoing care and rehabilitation, uh ptsd mm -hmm. complete you know economic fucking just absolutely mangling people's lives and the lives of those around them right yeah so that's the biggest uh the biggest cause of death and injury explosive weapons with wide area effects the second biggest the second biggest cause of injury killing 343 people and injuring some uh 770 odd mines Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mines and explosive remnants of war. Yes. Okay. Um, again, disproportionately affecting men and boys. 88% of mm -hmm. this figure is men and boys. Uh and uh quite a significant number of the emergency services are killed. Yeah, that's yeah. common. Yeah. They're In the mines. you know Yeah, because they're going out there, you know. The, unprotected trying to get to people and they're going to be yes. the ones who stumble upon whatever is left yes. behind after someone bombs or lays yes. mines or however you know that stuff gets there exactly this and the great thing about mines and other explosive kind of ordnance left over is that it'll completely fuck a region even after the conflict is finished yep forget farming forget rebuilding your industry forget reassembling your infrastructure uh when you've got you know, when an area is mined, it is lethal. Yeah. For, a, for ongoing. Uh, right, so like until the last person steps on something that blows up. Yes. Like, yes. yes. There's always the chance they're going to be there. Uh, yeah, so we're talking unexploded ordnance, artillery shells, bombs, grenades. Um, and they cause the same horrific injuries as other explosive weapons. So amputations, burns, internal injuries, blindness, deafness. Uh, psychological trauma. Here's the thing about mines and explosive remnants. Super, super, super susceptible to children. Children are particularly vulnerable yes. to mines uh, through the fucking fact that they're smaller, you know, smaller bodies, curiosity. Yes. Uh, and a, a, a child injured by a mine is then... A, a disproportionate burden to a family already struggling. Right. Forget school, forget contributing to the economy or household income in the future. You damage a child with a mine, 
that child is then damaged for the rest of their life. Yeah, really kind of, you know, when you're trying to, uh, like, just completely destabilize a people, yes. like, you know, make it so that either there are no future generations or those future generations are unable to contribute mm. to anything and thus, you know, creates yep. another level of destabilization. Yes. It's almost it's almost fighting a war against the future of a country mm -hmm. as well exactly. as the present. Yeah. You know? One thousand percent. Yeah. Absolutely fucked. And then you've got a uh, a small but not insignificant other uh include who killed uh, so 1341 people were killed 288 killed by other so fire from small arms like mm. weapons due to crossfire um mm -hmm. escalation of force incidents okay you know when when the military perhaps opened fire on civilians perceived as a threat willful killings road accidents involving uh, military vehicles driven by yeah. military personnel uh 155 civilians according to the uh, UN, 155 civilians have been killed by summary execution. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them men in their mm -hmm. homes, taken hostage, taken captive. Yeah. Uh, summary executions, 155 civilians. Wild shit. So let's talk about the kind of the state of play now, right? Mm -hmm. um, ABC News polled uh, 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 a share of Americans with this question: Is the U.S. doing too much to support Ukraine? Yes. In 2022, that was 14 percent. <laughs> by autumn last year, by September 2023, that had gone up to 41 percent. Yeah. Uh, just you know, the news of the last weeks: uh, there's 60 billion in aid for Ukraine being held up by bickering and bullshit in, in, mm -hmm. in, in uh, through American politics. Uh, let's be fucking honest. Your next president is going to be Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it's quite possible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this whole thing is like... Uh, the problem here is that all of this is terrible. Obviously, this is what I'm going to be talking about with Gaza too. All of this with yes. civilians and things like yes. that. Governmentally... Mm. Ukraine is shitty. Yes, 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 yes. yes <laughs> you yes, know, yes. And, and we have like a a place that we wouldn't be supporting, except mm. that you know yes. we have sort of an, an enemy of our enemy is a friend sort of yes, situation yes. going on here, and at a time when Americans are, you know, basically fucked on every yes. everything in our society, and there is no money for us. Uh, there's a degree. I mean, some of this is conservative bullshit, obviously. Yep. Like, there's plenty of this that is just Republicans who are like now are kissing Putin's ass, and they're like, we actually mm. love him, and it's like, well, yeah, the fuck, what are you doing? And I think that's a lot of the people that are holding up the aid. But from like your everyday American perspective, what it looks yep. like is, you know, we have and... billions and billions of dollars to spend on this war, yes, uh, and arming people, and all of these civilians are dying. Um, yeah. And dying horrifically. Dying horrifically. And, you know, we have no money for anything else but to just keep having people blow each other up, you know? Like, yep. what? where's the diplomacy or anything like that happening? All we do is send weapons. That's it. Yes. Why are yes, we doing yes, this? Yes. My, I mean, my, my, angle, my angle certainly isn't that... I mean, Zelensky himself is problematic as fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not blind to this. Into but my, space, yeah. <laughs> my angle is more an emboldened yes. dictator. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, exactly. Taking that, another yeah. fucking country by force. That is fucked. That is right. so fucked. Um, yeah. And of course, Trump is doing his usual routine. I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying, Russians and Ukrainians. <laughs> Good people on both sides, you know. Good that, people that fucking, on both sides. That yeah. fucking routine. Um, aid that has been promised to Ukraine is regularly allying, uh, uh, arriving late. So the Ukrainian defense minister, a guy by the name of Rustem Umeryov, uh, this weekend has said allocation of aid doesn't mean delivery. 50% of aid doesn't arrive yeah. on time. Uh, this your... is another thing that's a huge part of this. Like when it comes yes. to aid that we yes. give wherever we give it, there are so many things that keep things from going where they're supposed to go. Like, yes. you know, whether that's corruption, bureaucracy, all kinds of yes. stuff. And it's deeply frustrating to just keep throwing money at stuff and be like, why yes. isn't anyone making sure yep. that the civilians are safe and that they're fed and that the hospitals are functioning and, you know, yes. all this kind of stuff? Like, <sighs> it's yes. so infuriating um and just to, to close this out again to quote the ukrainian defense mechanism uh defense minister we're looking at our enemy their economy is worth about two trillion us dollars and they're spending up to 15 percent of their gdp on the war effort that's over 150 billion is coming from russia to fund their war effort mm-hmm. and even though you know the the early narrative was Hey, Ukraine, these fucking scrappy lads are holding it up. They're holding it together. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The fact is that the maths are winning out. Mm-hmm. And the future, I believe, looks bleak as fuck in that area. Yeah. Yep. I, that's, uh, yeah, just another element of this is the like, the, this being a two year anniversary just raises mm. that like, what are, what's, what's the yep. plan yep. here? You know, yeah. because Russia is a place that throughout its entire history has been willing to, like, fuck itself over, for, yes. you know, like, it's a dismal place and it's always been a dismal place. Mm-hmm. And they'll keep going, yes. you know, unless someone assassinates Putin or something like that, you know, which yes. is a thing that it's always surprising no one's done. Uh, but, like, th- this will just keep going. Like, what? Yes. There has to be something other than simply giving more bombs to people to solve this and like this is such a frustrating thing as an american whether it's this or gaza or whatever you know uh genocides around the world and things that we mm. stick our hands in is like we do so little besides pay you yes. know and we pretend that we can't do anything about stuff and it's like eh, we we probably could yeah, at least some try way. something else. At least, yeah, at like, least why not have an try? idea. Yeah and, yeah, and, you know, obviously, like you said at the beginning of this, there's always that, like, okay, well, we have a threat of nuclear warfare. Like, that's a pretty big thing to have hanging over our heads and all that kind of stuff. But we... It's the thing that was we talked about in the Cold War, mutually assured destruction. Like, mm. you know, Putin doesn't want to die. So, you know, is he going to blow us up because we tried to be diplomatic about stuff and then he dies too? Probably not. Like, so why don't Mm -hmm. we try something? Why don't we try something else besides this so that people don't keep dying who have nothing to do with what's going on, who are just trying to go about, you know, living. But it ain't happening. You know what I mean? No but one's it isn't happening. Shit. No one no is trying t- shit. It is two years and there is yeah. like no progress on this. Like See, what? 
in a way, it's kind of like, you know, when I rang into Jeremy Vine and said, why don't we shoot all the rubbish into space? Yes. Right. <laughs> and the guy's response was, no, we can't do that. It's best to solve it in on Earth. Mm -hmm. It's best to do it responsibly and sustainably and to really work at cleaning our own climate. But that's not fucking happening, is it? Right. Yeah. The issue is, you know, will someone do it? At least shooting all the rubbish into space is a fucking idea that nobody else is talking about. At least fucking if that's a shit idea, come back at me with a better one then, because right. we aren't yeah. doing the things that we obviously need to do. And the same seems to be happening here. Yeah, I mean, it all just comes down to the people in power and, you know, yes. the, the, humanity is not as terrible as our leaders. <laughs> the people mm. who are in power don't want solutions, you know, mm. solutions make them less money and it makes them less powerful. And whether it's what we do with the trash on Earth or whether we keep supplying various places with weapons for forever wars or whatever the case may be that's that mm. just works better for them than actually fixing shit as their people demand it uh and it's deeply frustrating so this is how we open this week's jackal graves <laughs> folks uh yeah. i would love to tell you that it's going to get more cheerful from here but i would not. not want to be a liar i appreciate your honesty let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. I don't think anyone has ever said mise-en-scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's you cold know. outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Jack of All Graves. Uh, welcome. <laughs> We're here. We're back. We're closing out our series on Gaza and then getting back to, you know, normal stupidity that we yeah. have here on this show. Like, it's time for us to get back to being dumbasses, Mark, I think. Yeah. Fuck. I'd, I'd look. I, I said this right at the start. I said this four weeks ago. It's a necessary thing that we do here. Yeah. Um, has it been fun? Fuck no. <laughs> right. Yeah. This journey sucks, but we're doing it because this <laughs> is what we do here. Uh, yes. And then hopefully maybe next year, next week, we'll get like another murder sub or something. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and homeostasis will be returned to the podcast <laughs> and to the world. <laughs> Uh, but for now, we're just going to we're going to get into probably the darkest chapter of this series really saved the save the worst for last year. <laughs> so um, I just warn you in advance, it's going to be a downer when we get to our main topic today. I think you said earlier on to me that you're going to put these in a kind of a compendium in a kind of a. I am. Yeah. For people, you know, who don't want to listen to all of our shenanigans, um, our opens and our joking around and what we watch and all that kind of stuff. I am going to put all of these together the past four weeks um, as like one super sewed. Um, so, you know, be like two hours or whatever that you can listen straight through if you don't need the intermissions of us being silly and all that kind of stuff. And if you wanted to recommend it to someone else to listen to or things like that, I will do that so that it is in one place. You can always refer back to it. Um, and yeah, so look out for that. That'll come tomorrow. Excellent. Are you going to burn the midnight oil tonight? You're going to fucking smash through that tonight. 
oh no i mean it's not gonna it's not gonna take that long i'm gonna after this i'm very excited there's an app called too good to go um i don't i don't know if you have this um, oh is that way you you get you get um food you get food yeah basically so that restaurants don't waste food at the end of the day um you you can yeah you can buy a a surprise bag and it's like stuff they had left over at the end of the day so um i ordered some too good to go from a portuguese joint and after Mm. you know probably crying on recording today (laughs) i'm going to go and get myself um and keo some cheap portuguese food uh so what is portuguese what is the what is the signature portuguese dish that's a that's a good question. A lot of Portuguese food is stuff that I don't eat because it's pretty meat heavy there. Yeah. But but they like a potato. They like a fry, you know, things like that. They <laughs> when we were in Portugal, I was like, it's a fascinating place because they eat a ton of meat. Yeah. But like they're not like like a lot of places. It's like all about like, oh, tons of seasoning and stuff like that. And like, that's not really their bag. They're not like they are like, it should taste like the thing it is. You know, so right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you Authentic meat, meat, seafood, all that kind of stuff. It's like you just all they do really is like maybe some salt, things like mm. that to whatever you get. But, you know, uh, we'll see what comes in the surprise bag. Hopefully some potato heavy things and whatnot that I will mm. enjoy. Delicious. Um, I am engaged in a pitched battle with a uh, a bottle of Carolina Reaper sauce, which is currently in my fridge, <laughs> and I I can't quit it, man. I just uh, even I know it's bad for me. It yeah. makes my insides burn. It makes yeah. my head sweat. Um, yep. I'm fresh off a clean shave, and I love a fucking smooth <laughs> dome. Right? Look how smooth that dome it is. It is very smooth, isn't it? Um, and I've been mixing it with mayo to kind of try and cool it down. But it, sure. it's not. It's You're not, making your own little worth. like aioli. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's so delicious, man. It's so mm. just uh piquant and just oh, so sharp and spicy and hot. But I, I am a wreck. My <laughs> fucking innards, man. My innards. <laughs> Uh, this is that's a lot of what it's like in our house all the time. Keo loves to eat spicy <laughs> things. I I like spice. I love the taste I love, and all that kind of I stuff. But spice. you know how I am. I think ahead. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you're a I'm like, planner i'm a planner i don't i think about the repercussions and i'm like you know yeah, repercussions <laughs> repercussions For real and i'm like maybe not so much um there's a great video of uh this you, you've seen hot ones right yeah yeah sure um and it's like they have like a couple side things or whatever there's a video of sean the host and this other guy who was known for eating very hot peppers popping the the reapers and just like sobbing as they eat these and it's like oh it's so beautifully destructive uh really delightful to watch but there's also a video um where on one episode of hot ones david blaine was on and at the end man i'm (laughs) never watching that i hate him you hate David Blaine? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I love David Blaine. Um, <laughs> I, also, recognized as problematic, you know. but I know I hate magicians. But like David Blaine isn't really like even a magician. Yeah, he is. What <laughs> like, else did you call him? Well, I mean, I guess he's an illusionist. But like he, <laughs> the thing is, is like he's not doing like like he does some Illusions, tricks or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, illusions, fuck. Um, he does like tricks and stuff like that. But like the vast majority of the stuff he does is just like he trained his body to do something that he shouldn't have. And he mm. has like just a high pain tolerance. And so you're just like, let's see. 
what weird <laughs> shit David Blaine's going to do with his body. Um, but on the episode of Hot Ones, at the end of it, he eats a Carolina Reaper and is like unfazed. My theory is that he didn't eat it. Keo thinks he did, but he's just trained himself well enough that, that you know, that he can bullshit. bear it. But I think See, sleight of hand. This is uh, and sorry, but you 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 invited this. I think just like Darren Brown, yes, who will have you you know Darren Brown, the British David Blaine, really. He's a I'm sure I've seen him. He's okay, actually yeah. really cool, right? He's actually he's super charismatic. He's super likable, and he is quite open about the fact that everything he does is lies and misdirection. And I mean, that's shit. what they all are. <laughs> Everyone course, yeah. knows that. But but that's <laughs> nobody's the thing. claiming it's real. Darren Brown is way more likable for admitting that. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, without having seen the video, that he palmed the fucking pepper. You know what I mean? Or stuck it down. His I mean, you can. It's not that like obvious. That. You can tell. Like everybody is looking for that. He knows everyone's looking for it, and so I find it fascinating that he must have done it somehow. And I'm looking at him on a video, and yeah. I can't see what the fuck he did with the Reaper. I'm like, I can't exactly. do that. So, like, that's cool. I think it's yeah, neat but that he, can do that. he wants you to believe that he ate it, and he's just super cool and blasé, and is I've trained my body through years of fucking. Nana. I've developed no, you assume immunity. that yourself. He doesn't say that. He's just, you know, on there. That's like, it would be so lame if like the entire <laughs> shtick was just like, I'm going to do a thing and it's not real. Fuck you, people. <laughs> Why would you watch that? Like, yeah, of course it's not real. Wrestling's not real. Like it's, you know, like, yeah, but he still trained himself to do stuff that I can't do because I didn't train myself to do it. So... You know, it's fun to watch and have a little suspension of disbelief or even sit there trying to figure it out because we know it's a lie. We know it's an illusion. So how the fuck did he do it? Like, that's fun. That's a fun thing to do. Okay. Have a little whimsy in your life. Nah, not, not, not when. Right, there's very little separating David Blaine and Chris Angel Mind Freak, as far as I'm concerned. Nothing very, you just got some a thin wisp of separation between the sure. two. And I'm not, yeah, because they do the same job, they have the exact yeah. same profession. Just one is aimed at like weird pickup artist people, and <laughs> one is aimed at the rest of us. Like, you know, it's just to me, I'm like, yeah, you, you spent your whole life learning to do this thing that confounds the brain. Uh, and makes us all go, oh, oh, that's wild. How'd they do that? Uh, and I think it's cool. <laughs> I think okay. that's I a pretty neat thing to I don't do. Share it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But the yeah, maybe watch the end of that hot ones and see if you can figure out how David Blaine palmed the Carolina Reaper. Well, uh, <laughs> I wish I'd palmed the Carolina Reaper. Let me tell you that. <laughs> and I know I'll do it again. There's got I'll do to. It, I'll do it again tomorrow. There's got to be a sauce that like tastes good like that, but that doesn't, you know, wage war on your internal organ. I'm wide open to suggestions. If anyone knows what that yeah. sauce is, ugh, fucking link me up. Yeah, please <laughs> offer Mark some sauces that aren't deadly. The Hot Reaper is like hardcore. That's like not even yeah. like, like that pepper is too much. Oh, man, but it's so delicious. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we had a watch along the other day. 
a beautiful mess of a watch along. Beautiful mess of a watch along. This was so <laughs> it was very fun. I hated the movie, but it was so much fun. Um, we watched Natural Born Killers uh, with the gang. Uh, and somehow like only like three people had seen it and the rest of us were all going yeah. in noobs on it. Um, you realized like the day before you were like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do this. I think you're going to hate it. And I was like, what? Like, I always thought I'd like oh, yeah. this movie. And then you, you know, the day before we're like, I think I think you actually might hate that. So like, and then really? when huh. it started and, it, you know, <laughs> it, it was way more full on than I remember it being. It's a, it's a fucking absolute mess of a film. It is. It is it's a disaster of a movie. A sensory clusterfuck <laughs> of a film. Right. It's like the first like 10 minutes of it. I genuinely was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. Like both me yeah, and Sam yeah, were yeah. like, like dizzy. I was like, I'm going to throw up. I don't know if this is going to work uh, before it kind of somewhat settled. I mean, it's at an angle the entire movie. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, it's basically like a series of music videos um, yeah, loosely bound together. TV <laughs> commercials. Uh, yeah, you know, kills. Yeah, super 90s. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, the, there's no restraint. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's it's a mess it's all over yeah. the fucking place and seeing it through adult eyes <laughs> it is not subtle man i mean 16 year old me was nope. like whoa yeah oh it's really saying yeah. something here yeah, yeah the yeah. media Could, man uh, serial killer culture man yeah it, it's just another commodity isn't it for people to just consume man <laughs> um but as a, as, a, as a bloke i'm like fucking hell because <laughs> <laughs> you you pointed out you were like you know robocop makes every single one of these same yes. points and just does it in a lot cooler more yes. subtle way than this does it and a lot of things do i mean it it goes back to you know the reason that um i know you like it but i don't like um the what's the home invasion movie oh funny games funny games right like it's like oh look at me saying a thing like yeah no we we understand that thing like you're not <laughs> You're not saying anything. <laughs> that, that, that one clip of you just saying that is is funny games. That ooh look, look. ooh ooh boogie boogie boogie. Look what I said. Yeah, confronted. Basically. Yeah, natural born killers definitely has that that vibe. But it was good fun to watch it in a it posse. Was. I think especially because it's like for like you. And whoever else had seen it, there was kind of a like, oh, that yeah, this is a little different through adult eyes. Yes. <laughs> and for the rest of us, kind of a like, what is happening what here? Like, uh, is, I, I particularly enjoyed Eileen um, yeah. just trying to filter it through a scientific mind. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, wonderful. Great just time. every now and again, a, a baffled comment from And you Eileen. know what? We've already fucking locked in the watch along movie for March. We um, have, yeah. Yes, I mean, indeed. we did have a, a theme we were going to go with, but I guess we'll save that one for April. We yeah, we did. Uh, Brian suggested um, adaptations. Oh, of course. Yes. And we, yes. And that is a good one. That is yeah, a good so one. So we'll we save that for it. April. We'll do adaptations. But for March, we yeah, had. We've already informally locked in, thanks mm -hmm. to my good fucking friend, Sam. Uh, we have already locked in The Fly, the best remake. I think. Yes. Uh, is it or is it the thing? Mm. Uh, fuck, I don't. It's know. probably the thing, realistically. Oh, but... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The fly is elevated by its writing and its performances. The writing on the fly mm. is peerless. It's so good. Yep. 
it's a tier. It's like best friends, right? Like best friends isn't a person. It's a tier. Excellent. Yes. Best uh, remake, yes, best remake is a tier. Yes. And so, both um, on it. stay tuned one weekend at the end of March. I think weekend of the twenty fourth. Uh, and we're going to publicize this one as well. And we're going we to let are, you know yeah. I was surprised how many people hours. showed up when we didn't not hey. really tell anyone this was happening this time. What does so that tell great you? job, what does that everyone. We have a a a tight knit dedicated community of Joag mm -hmm. faithful, and I swear yeah. to God, right? Both Corey and I would take a bullet for each of you. Indeed, each one of you, without even much of a good reason, just ring me up. Just, at fucking just for four o'clock on a Wednesday, Mark, take a bullet for me. I'd be like, "Yes, yeah. tell me where, and I'll fucking be there." Right? You and Anna. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Anna is always always waiting to get stabbed or shot, just for the heck of it. Interesting. Much to consider. <laughs> Much to consider. Uh, so yes, that will happen. But thank you, everyone who showed up. This was yes. Delightful, such a blast to watch a very weird movie with a posse of our dear friends, and we look forward to the fly mm -hmm. next month. Yeah. Uh, we've also got some new stuff up on the Ko-Fi, so make sure to yep. check that out. We got a watch along, which was very fun. Of um, what's the Last Let's of Us play. Two? Last of Us Two, No Return, No Return, which is yeah. like Last of Us but a roguelike. So yes. that was very fun um, for me uh, to. It watch happen possibly my favorite of our let's plays so far i think the conversation yeah, mostly was, because was you grand. pranked me but you know. i did pry, pry, uh, i got you good <laughs> you, you got good. me uh That's so if you want to hear mark pull a dumbass big brother prank on me <laughs> you can <laughs> yeah. uh watch the episode up on the ko-fi at any level of support you can watch that um and then we put a snack up for our great bunch of lads and above Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Uh, yesterday, in which I asked Mark various true crime trivia, and we mm. chatted about all the things that each of those questions sort of spun off into for us, which yes. was a lot of fun. Uh, I guess that let's play and the snack give you a little bit of that tomfoolery that maybe have been lacking the path yeah. through this journey. You know, we've been making you sad. Um, yes. <laughs> a good place to go is to our Ko-Fi where we are busily being stupid. Yeah. Yep. Which is yep. a favorite yep. thing for both of us. So I you think. can still find yeah. that stuff if you want it, right? You just yes. got to do the right thing. And I announced that we've got more content coming to the Ko-Fi. Uh, Kristen and I have a <laughs> new side pod coming, <laughs> the Joag fan cave, uh, in which we're going to subject Kristen to horror movies, uh, which she famously does not watch. Uh, and we're, we're going to tell you some more stories from our, you know, weird little nerd history backgrounds and whatnot. So it should be okay. a very fun time. So if you want to hear that, make sure that you are a member. Ko-fi.com slash Jack of All Graves. I love, I love what you and Lattie have. I think it's very special. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love Lattie. I am blessed with like the best friends in in the world like yeah i would yeah. not trade them for anything they are the best people on earth and i have like a sizable group of them which i think yep. is you know unusual for it is. a 38 year old <laughs> to mm. have um and yeah Kristen is just just an absolute treasure who i've been uh very happy to know and <laughs> become uh such close friends with over the past like almost 20 years now at this point delightful so yeah you can listen to us be weird on uh, ko-fi next month so let's just 
smash through some movies, shall we? We shall. Uh, I. Hey, this is interesting. This this is happening more and more. I took a recommendation of yours and watched it. I know, right? This is happening more and more, which I'm changing. You are. This is this is a different guy who sits before me. About? I'm not it's the amazing. same. I'm not the same fucking man. I'm a different guy. And I'm not only did not I watch the same man I was before. What's that? Oingo Boingo. Oh, okay. I love Oingo um, Boingo. I I don't know who they are. I keep hearing I keep getting I keep hearing them referenced, but I've never listened to a single no. It's Danny Elfman, bruh. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Delightful stuff. Anyways, go on. Go on. Yeah. Not only did I watch it, I watched it the fucking day after you yeah, recommended it. Like to me. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was mad keen to watch it. And I'm very glad I did. Um it, yes, this it's, was it's, past lives. Yes, it's everything you said it would would be. Um just a a a, a couple that never were, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Just reflecting on their lives as uh, you know, migrants, as people, as individuals, as friends, as you know, uh, like I said, they they're just lovers who never really loved, and yep. it is it is wistful and it is it is heart wrenching. But yeah. there's no there's no kind of air quotes emotion in the piece. It's very cold, <laughs> I find. Right. Uh, and whether that's <laughs> cultural, whether that's a culture they they, they both come from, uh, Korean is that correct? Yeah. Um, whether it's whether it's a cultural thing, you know, it deals with displacement. Uh, the the lady having moved to New York, um, you know, the the we follow the careers that they had. We follow the the kind of their relationship with their parents, with one another, with their cities, with their countries, and all of it is underpinned by this just just a question, you know. All of it is underpinned by the what ifs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, the choices we make, man. Uh, and it beautifully ends with that question, you know, maybe, maybe we're already together in the next life. Isn't that fucking yeah, beautiful? Right. Loved maybe it. this Absolutely is a past life. Maybe mm-hmm. we're right. already yeah, together like Maybe in the next. this is a past life. Oh, man, it's so fucking good. Watch yeah, past lives. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just, oh, you feel it. You feel the whole thing in the pit of your stomach. And I think that is such an accomplishment considering, like you said, like it is cold. It's not. You know, mm. you're there's no they're not fighting. They're not, you know, exactly. there's it's no fighting and fucking and all these kinds of no, like, you know, of it's just to the po- people at the processing. End where, well, don't give I, away like I'm not going to give away end, anything, but yeah. there, there's a bit at the end where they're waiting for a cab together. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, just kiss a little. Just, <laughs> just maybe just just mm. just hold hands or just fucking just just acknowledge this yearning. Just fucking give right. some kind of pay off mm-hmm. but they don't man they it's just an unresolved yearning that's what it is mm-hmm. and it, it's it's yeah it's beautiful it's really, gets you really right beautiful. in the gut space yeah yes. big recommend Wonderful. past lives yeah. Great quick time. question is your like mic balancing on something yes it is on an ipad okay it's like I can hear like when you like move, it goes like. I will move less. I know I became animated there. Yes, which is you know great. I appreciate the passion. Yes. Um, I shall refrain. Yes, but to yeah, not to not drive our listeners crazy. Sorry, hands to yourself. But but yes, past lives. Watch it. Um, do you want to talk about what else we watched together, or do you want me to go through my watches? Yeah, go on. Do some of yours. Uh well, I finally, after a bajillion years, watched uh Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone. 
Um, mm, why? Which, ah, you know, it's a really good question. I think like something the night that I watched it was telling me tonally I wanted like that Guillermo del Toro feel, you know, I was like, that's what I'm like going for right now. Um, and it was great. <laughs> um, it is. It's the dumb. thing about like, you know, Guillermo del Toro likes to break our hearts, you know, yes. uh, and he's not afraid to be like, I'm just going to like kill children or like, yep. things like that. And like, absolutely just devastate you in something. And so you've got this like, this movie that's like a ghost story, um, you know, set amidst like Spanish civil war um, in like an orphanage and just these like, just watching these kids sort of go about their lives while there's like this underpinning of like war and terror and something horrible happening within like the orphanage itself. Um, and yeah, I just, was so good <laughs> so good i was very i was heartbroken but i uh enjoyed that entire ride i just yeah i i'm pretty much a stan there's not many of his things that <laughs> miss for me there are some but not many Wait, what is his what are his misses me. then don't you uh, dare say the... pacific rim don't you dare <laughs> no i wasn't gonna say pacific rim yeah. i was gonna say um the bradley cooper one with the circus oh uh, fuck Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, it was terrible. I yeah, can't yeah, even yeah. remember what it's called, but no, that here. was, yeah, that was I, awful. That's when I tried, I think, on three separate occasions to watch. Yeah. And I fucking <laughs> didn't. I never Oof. got to the end of that fucking movie, man. The thing about, which is unfortunate, because the, the last, like, 10 to 15 minutes of it, I think, is, like, hilarious. Like, it's, like, almost farcical. It's just, like, it ends kind of where you would expect it to end, but it's on this like beautiful twilight zony irony mm. um, that I thought was very funny. Uh, as like, oh man, haha, this you know came around to bite this character okay. in the ass or whatever. But mm. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that was a what the fuck was that movie called? I... Midnight, I... Da darkness alley. Alley, Nightmare Alley, Nightmare Alley. There you go. Yeah, it's good. What? It's got a good title, even. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a, a waste of time. Devil's Backbone is not a waste of time, however. This is one of the this is one of the winners, so I big time recommend it. Um, I really enjoyed Crimson Peak as well. I, oh, really I love Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Oh man, <laughs> I'm such a big fan of that movie. He's got a lot of tools. He's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Mm -hmm. as Big G. Yeah. You know, he can do your fucking huge action spectacle uh he can do your horror he can do your kind of period pieces he's very good yeah. at his historical kind of context 100 uh, he's got a fantasy fucking he's a he's a g that man is <laughs> he's good people 100 percent. yeah yeah um yeah there's who are the other so it's him and Inaritu, and there's one more guy in that like trio of mexican yeah, uh, yeah directors yeah, yeah, yeah. that and i think you know I'm less of a fan of Inuritu, but like all in all, I'm like those guys, like, yeah, they had tricks. They have tricks yeah. up their sleeves and they are, yeah. you know, men with range who do some really interesting stuff. Yes. Um, but I also uh, watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I always think I haven't <laughs> seen. And then I think it's like the same part of the movie every time where I go. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I've definitely seen this. <laughs> um, but of course, a classic about, you know, a uh woman 
or well two young girls it starts who are growing up in the showbiz light uh one of them is a successful child star and the other one becomes more of a successful um star as an adult and um <laughs> then after a horrific accident um one of them ends up in a wheelchair and the other basically locks her up <laughs> and uh punishes her for having had such a successful life uh when she thought that she deserved all of that attention and whatnot um and of course it's uh betty davis being fucking crazy which she's very good at and of course um the two leads hated each other in real life, which I think also ah. adds yeah. <laughs> adds something to it. Yep. Uh, so yeah, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a bonkers movie that I think is <laughs> a lot of fun. Excellent. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Do you know, all the while you were talking there, I was just thinking to myself, I am so fucking excited to watch The Fly again. I cannot fucking wait to see that movie again. It was like yesterday as I was talking the whole time, all you could think about was the peppermint baddies. <laughs> It's like every time I broke from conversation for a second, you would just bring it back to the peppermint well, patty. What what fascinates me, and sorry to repeat myself, I know I've gone into this before, but I can't I can't quite pin down the British analog, right? You know, because we've got we've got versions of what you got, you yeah, got versions usually. of what we got, but I can't fucking pin down what we've got that's a peppermint patty. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. We will. We will. I watched a a movie called No Way Up that came out like this past week or two weeks ago, uh, which is a movie in which a plane crashes into the ocean and oh. then sharks start eating the survivors. Oh, okay. okay. It's very, very bad. Um, yeah. it, and what's upsetting is that Colm Meany is in it. And I don't understand why these are the movies that he's been relegated to because like what has he done for us but give us bangers right like his performances yeah. yep are always bangers and this is what this is what he does now well he's got to eat you know well Home i'm not to, mad well, at Brian him yeah. i'm not mad at him i i'm i'm mad at his agent who what was that is when he was in with the goblins us... unwelcome is that what it was called oh, yeah which i did really like i will give you give him that one um yeah. but and you did too until i, I fucked great. it up by ruining it for you until the big <laughs> continent yeah. of the era. entirely my fault that uh that that movie got ruined but like you know it just feels like he deserves better after the illustrious career he's had than doing well, a shark plane movie i think his legacy is safe isn't it well that's for sure yeah absolutely. you know he's he's got nothing else to prove yeah, maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't want to yeah. do anything. Maybe he's just like every now and again I need to pay. Yeah, to, right. Exactly, like I need to pay exactly a bill. Not. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do whatever someone fucking puts in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the that's Bruce Willisification of his career. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm gonna take that's gonna be my head canon. Is like it's go. not that he's not getting offers, it's that he can't be bothered to do good stuff yeah. he's just perhaps maybe chilling. one of his children needs to go to university or something right like that. he's you like know? okay i got this let me work i'll for do a film three days i'll, I'll, I'll just call my agent <laughs> i like that idea actually yeah, come on go. board I've redeemed him for right. you. yeah feel good about that um i watched the zone of interest one of the oscar nominated films definitely on the list for this week yeah, and I'm not, I, so I won't talk a ton about it, um, but 
it didn't work for me super well kind of in the it's a it's the opposite of natural born killers and its tone and all that kind of stuff but in the like it's saying something but i think it's it thinks it's a lot smarter than it is sort of thing because it's basically I, i told al this the other day i was like it's like if you gave a class like the prompt write a script based on the banality of evil and it's like yep. exactly the script the whole class would write. <laughs> like, mm. here are some very boring people who run a concentration camp and live next to the concentration camp being boring. And like, yeah, no, I get it. Like, evil evil people aren't necessarily interesting people. Sure. Well, if, <laughs> look, if you found the film not as smart as it thought it was, and <laughs> I'm not as smart as you... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll be like, what a smart, what a fucking smart film. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I won't, I won't take that away from you. <laughs> but I just felt like it was like a very on the nose sort of yes. story. Like when I read the book in the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson, that to me was like that floored me like being like oh like american diplomats were just like out partying with like nazis and stuff like that instead of like stopping shit from happening and whatnot and like that's when i think of really what blows my mind about the banality of evil it's like stuff like that that like not just that they could be boring and like live next to a concentration camp and be unfazed by it but like the fact that it like a lot of them were interesting like and were like out like partying and like telling jokes and stuff like that. They mentioned this on um actually it was because Marcus was reading in the Garden of the Beast now that I think about it, but like that, you know, a lot of these like high up Nazi guys who were like the worst human beings you could imagine were like funny and people yeah, liked yeah, them yeah. and they were charismatic. Yeah. And I think that to me is like more interesting as like a look at this than just like she had a garden next mm. to a concentration camp. <laughs> You know, like that that was my thought process with it is like, I get it. I get what it's doing. Uh, It just to me wasn't as like, I don't know. It just felt very on the nose instead of like really telling like an interesting story about like, Uh yeah, how just like, (laughs) like these are just people uh, who didn't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, evil Uh, has a human face. Right. (laughs) Mm. Um, But uh, I also rewatched a fave of mine that I hadn't seen in ages. Uh, it's never streaming free anywhere. And finally, I just sucked it up and bought it. I bought Frequency yesterday. Oh, fucking uh, hell. <laughs> I love Frequency. You do, don't you? So yeah. much. It's, that movie has everything. It's like, it's got sci-fi and time travel. It's got, you know, murder. It's got, a you know, a serial killer. It's got like adventure and fire and things like that. It's got heart. It's got like a father-son story. Uh, everything, everything is there. It's stressful. Uh, it's, you know, Jim Caviezel before we knew he was batshit mm. <laughs> and you've got Dennis Quaid, uh, you've got my, one of my favorite Canadian actors plays the serial killer in that, like, oh, man, it's just, oh, it's so good from start to finish. And I was like, I, it's been like a decade since I've watched this. I, it was one of those, like one of the few DVDs that I had when I was in college, yeah, yeah. you know, so I'd watch it all the time. And there's like this one line in it where, Jim Caviezel says to Sean Doyle, like, 
um, you know, you, uh, you went down 30 years ago, pal. And I yelled the next line, just like in my bed, <laughs> fist pumping. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> it's like, so like, oh, I fucking love this movie. Um, so yeah, frequency is, is my jam. Uh, I've explained nothing about the movie. If you've never seen Frequency, this is a movie in which um, Jim Caviezel is kind of a down and out cop uh, who finds his dad's old like yes. ham radio or CB radio finds or whatever a massive it is. plot device under the stairs. <laughs> massive That's what he plot does. device. And he suddenly is able to talk to his father in the mm. past who died in a fire. Uh, and he prevents him from dying in that fire, but it sets off a stream of serial killings that now he has to stop, including one that killed his mother. Uh, and it goes from there. So, yeah, it's frequency is a treasure. I love it. You've certainly sold it. <laughs> yes. Um, and the last thing we watched together. Super quickly. Um, mm -hmm. If we're talking about how, you know, if we're talking about how I've evolved, if we're talking about how I've changed, not only am I watching movies that you've recommended. I'm also reading books you've recommended, for fuck's sake. That's true. What the Look fuck this. is up with that? I'm ripping through... What is going uh, on? I'm ripping through Naomi Klein's Doppelganger, and Beautiful. it is excellent. Right? It's like, Naomi Klein has a way of addressing these things that makes my heart race, you know, where uh, I'm like, someone is saying the thing that, like, I've been thinking and, like, but deeply researching it. <laughs> like... It's... She's... The 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 central conceit of the book is excellent, but the way that she uses it to hang all of these fucking various issues with our time on mm -hmm. is is very deft and it, it's almost seamless. You know, the, yeah. you never get a sense that she's reaching to yeah, she's not forcing topic. the exactly. doppelganger into things. Like no, it's exactly yeah, it's all there. Um, yeah, it's 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 superb, and thank you, thank you for the rec. Good, I'm very glad. Um, I feel like this is probably a phase, but you know, maybe just keep it. Oh, mind. let's let's I... just write it. Let's just yeah, write let's it. write it out. Let's ride that wave. <laughs> uh, but we watched. There's something wrong with the children this week yes. that for some reason people like don't like, but it is a perfectly delightful horror movie. Who doesn't like the something wrong with the children? That's got well, it, like the ratings on well, on Letterboxd. No, I don't think it is. Well, fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Like what? It's a this is a perfectly fun -ass fucking movie. serviceable. Hey, cheap. Um, uh, is the one word that that kept coming to me as I was watching it because you just got like <laughs> four guys and a couple of kids. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, nothing it's true. else. You Not know, they probably paid more. a little bit for the location. Some some. You know, 10, 15 minutes of effects work at the end. That cannot have been an expensive movie to make. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, and, and yet, but, like, it like it seems cheap to make, but it doesn't have the sense where you're watching it and you're like, this was made for $5. Like, yes, of know? course. And I'll tell you what elevates it. The fucking music is great. Yeah, the music is phenomenal. Uh, and, and, you know, original kind of gothy, kind of synthy, Sisters of Mercy style, uh, you know, pop rock tracks. Which I, which you might be forgiven for thinking sounds shit, but it isn't. It's really, really, it isn't. really no. good vibes, vibes on vibes, vibes on vibes. all over the place. It's, it, it, you know, it has lots of ideas. It's, it's the anti ring, isn't it? It in in the yeah. It uh, uses lots of really nice colors really well. Uh, green chiefly. Um, but this it, is, yeah, it's yeah, a, this is red. Was <laughs> this mm. this one was a lot of red. And uh, I I I don't know. I thought I thought the 
I thought what it had to say about parenting was quite authentic. It 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 felt, yeah, it 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 felt like it's a movie that knows the kinds of things it's writing about. Mm-hmm. Kids and can be basically, shit. Kids kids can be shit. <laughs> that's for sure. I don't mm. think that's the ultimate message. Obviously, there's more to it. It's than one that, of but them, but yeah, it is certainly one of them. Um, but yeah, basically, the conceit of this being, you know, two couples, one of which has kids, go on a a little staycation type thing just to the woods yeah. or whatever to a cabin and um find this cave uh that changes the children somehow but only one of them seems to notice mm. that the kids have changed um and thus he starts to look crazy yeah. um that's the basic conceit of this movie i thought it was yeah. a lot of fun you thought it was a lot of fun yeah super tense yeah totally worth watching yeah good movie think that's everything i think that's everything watch alongs fucking movies books <laughs> you know covering patties. it all peppermint patties you know, you know. <laughs> well then let's uh let's bring the mood down shall we and just if we could i was starting to feel good about my life yeah we're just, everything was feeling really nice for a moment there <laughs> uh so now i am going to leave us feeling absolutely miserable if that's all right with you <laughs> just super briefly um i've got aliens on in the background right i've got the 4k mm. restoration of aliens Fair and nice. uh so vasquez is on screen yes mm-hmm. who is actually also john connor's foster mother in terminator yeah. 2 i, I think i that. only noticed that the last time i watched terminator 2 i was like this looks really familiar mm. oh <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Little Cameron overlap happening yes. there. Love it. <laughs> all righty, Corrigan. All right, all right. So, Mark, mm. I talked about the Cold War last week uh, and alluded to how the U.S. would happily prop up a dictator or other distant group if it meant shutting down someone we felt was a threat to our capitalist values. So, like, backing the coup d'etat that saw military dictator Fulgencio Batista take over Cuba... Or trying to shut down the Soviet Union and then doing so funding the Taliban. And as I discussed in the first episode of this series, a lot of our worst political impulses have been carbon copied by Israel. And that includes the accidental creation of Hamas while attempting to shut down a different leftist enemy in Palestine. Now, I'm just going to keep giving this disclaimer like last week. This is an overview we are we're not behind the bastards. Uh, Robert Evans does like six part episodes on individuals because there's that much to talk about. And here I am trying to cover, you know, 75 years of Middle Eastern history in these small chunks each week. I can't possibly do that. So please go read the books. The shoppable list is linked in the description and in our blog. If you want to dive deep, deep, there are so many things to read. But I'm going to summarize the best that I can. So. The origins of Hamas begin in the late 70s and early 80s when Palestine was currently being led by a leftist secular group known as the Palestine Liberation Organization, or PLO, and their Fatah party, headed up at the time by Yasser Arafat. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've heard of him. I remember him on the news all the time when I was a kid. Uh Um, Hamas sprung up from a social party called the Muslim Brotherhood, and at the time, Israel granted them a license to operate as a charity in Gaza. Known as Mujama al-Islamiya, they built an Islamic university, mosques, clubs, and schools. And they were known basically for like welfare programs and stuff like that. Kind of kind of like a religious version of the Black Panthers, basically. 
uh, Israel was like, all these guys want to do is study the Quran and set up some social stuff. We're into it. Let them cook. But in 1987, during what's known as the First Intifada, which is like an uprising um, against Israel by the Palestinians, Hamas went from being a social party to a political party. And one that, like Fatah, was in resistance to Israeli occupation. Okay. The military arm of Hamas was named the Izzah Din al-Qassam Brigades, and they wanted to be able to present armed resistance against Israel to liberate Palestine. But Israel was like, these guys aren't that big a threat, and it's actually in our benefit to egg on infighting between these two group groups that both don't like us. Like, let them focus on each other, you sure, know, sure, sure. kill each other off instead of worrying about it. Uh, so Israeli Brigadier General Yitzhak Segev told the New York Times that he helped finance the P Palestinian Islamist movement as a counterweight to the secularists and leftists. They apparently were not too concerned with the Hamas charter that called for the complete destruction of Israel. They didn't think it was going to get that far. And at, at what point, at what point did that become Hamas's goal? That from basically from the point that Hamas became like an entity, that was in their charter okay. that, you know, they wanted the destruction of Israel and the return of that land to Palestinians. So it, it's always been there. OK. Yeah. In 2006, Hamas won the democratic elections in Gaza. And in 2007, the U.S. and Israel basically like orchestrated a civil war between Hamas and Fatah. That ended in Hamas taking over the Gaza Strip while Fatah held on to the West Bank. There is, in a sense, a strategic benefit to Israel letting Hamas control Gaza. Part of that was that Israel felt that the PLO was a much bigger threat and figured it was more important to get them out of power than to quell this Hamas stuff. Mm. But also by going, well, they elected Hamas and Hamas controls Gaza and we, Israel, are not in Gaza anymore they could then claim that Israel is a Jewish majority state. I'm sure that you or others listening to this have encountered people who like argue that like, oh, well, Israel left Gaza in 2005. They don't occupy it anymore. By sectioning off Gaza, that's 2 million Palestinians who aren't part of Israel anymore. So Israel isn't an apartheid state. You know, Gaza is its, its own thing over there. Most of the Palestinians are in Gaza, and the blockade is simply there to keep Hamas, a terrorist organization, from coming and fucking things up in Israel. Never mind that Israel controls everything in Gaza, from electricity, to water, to access to the sea for fishing, to ability to grow crops, to freedom of movement, or lack thereof. The idea that they're not occupying Gaza, the idea is that they're not occupying Gaza, they're just containing Hamas. I see which is obviously bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if you live in Gaza, that's an absolutely meaningless distinction. Like, oh, they're they're not occupying us, but they run every element of our day-to-day -day life. As Mehdi Hassan, Mehdi Hassan put it, quote, first the Israelis helped build up a militant strain of Palestinian political Islam in the form of Hamas and its Muslim Brotherhood precursors. Then the Israelis switched tack and tried to bomb, besiege, and blockade it out of existence. And as Andrew Higgins explained in the Wall Street Journal, Israel had tried to find a pliant Palestinian partner that is both credible with Palestinians and willing to eschew violence. And it backfired. He goes on to say, Israel's experience echoes that of the U.S., which during the Cold War looked to Islamists as a useful ally against communism. 
anti-Soviet forces backed by America after Moscow's 1979 of invasion of Afghanistan later mutated into Al-Qaeda. So we can see this doesn't really work out yeah, well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? uh, Tarek Bakoni, author of Hamas Contained, The Rise and Pacification of Palestinian Resistance, explained... The language that the Israelis and the American officials have been using to demonize Hamas has been entirely based in the effort to depoliticize the Palestinian struggle and to present any form of armed resistance against what is a violent apartheid regime as a form of terrorism. The impact of this is really to try to give Israel a carte blanche to continue dealing with the question of Pal Palestine with the quest by the Palestinian people to gain their inalienable rights through force and through a security doctrine. President Biden's linking of the attack that happened on 7th October to 9-11 is really a carte blanche for Israel to do what it wants to in Gaza Strip. And it's an affirmation that all the lessons that have been learned after America's own 9-11 have really been lost because we did all of this stuff, you know, went and just like terrorized the Middle East or whatever as like a retaliatory thing. Um, mm. Obviously, we had other goals in mind. Oil. But, you know, we well, yeah, and, went and... through and yeah. Is it, is it, do I have the right kind of, is it, is it a stretch to say that America's operations in Afghanistan and then their kind of super hasty withdrawal without any kind of onward plan for, you know, infrastructure and, and, and whatnot just left a vacuum for Al-Qaeda to fill? Right. Exactly. 100% right. that. Yeah. Absolutely nailed it. Um, but yeah, in this case, in other words, presenting Hamas as a purely terrorist organization depoliticizes what they actually are, the military of a state that has been occupied by a deeply oppressive force for the past 75 years. Mm. You can argue about their tactics and whether you agree with them all day long, but it has to be acknowledged that they don't just do this because they hate Jews or Israeli freedom or anything like that, which is a lot of the kinds of stuff that we used, again, with Afghanistan, Iraq, things like yeah. that. Like, oh, they don't have any reason why they hate us it's just our freedom that's the problem and not destabilizing their entire nations and things like that uh so you've got an occupying force that restricts the rights of indigenous people and the political party that was elected to run that oppressed region has a military that carries out its political aims the only reason we call them terrorists and not gaza's army is basically racism and islamophobia we don't have the same trouble with resistance fighters in Ukraine. Have you ever heard anyone call a Ukrainian resistance fighter a yeah, terrorist? Yeah, of, course, of course, of course. It's not a thing. <laughs> we understand when white people push back against an occupying force. That's a, that's a good thing. It becomes hazy when it's brown people, especially yeah. Muslims. And as long as they're terrorists, not a valid military, they need to be crushed, not negotiated with, eradicated. And honestly, all of this stuff makes me wonder, like, who did people root for when they were watching the Hunger Games? <laughs> it's <laughs> like Katniss is a terrorist, right, by the like rules of that movie and that series. But like when you put this in like a context of Israel or whatever, it's like, no, 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 the capital, the capital is the good guys. It's just bonkers to me that we take in so much media about shit just like this. Mm. And take zero lessons Miss from it. Miss the fucking point. Yeah, yeah. Miss it entirely. It's incredible. <clears throat> uh, Bekani goes on to explain that what happened on October 7th, while obviously a surprise to Israel and to the world, was actually probably just as much of a surprise to Hamas leadership. 
Israel presents itself as an impenetrable force. And to most Palestinians, there's an understanding that Hamas might be able to take a couple soldiers down in a suicide bombing or rough up a few unwanted buildings with a wayward rocket. But there isn't really any way to put up like an actual fight against uh-huh. Israel with its huge army and American weaponry that they have there. And Israel's done a lot of PR to make it feel that way, including just straight up lying about instances in which they got their asses kicked in various confrontations because it would have embarrassed them and led on that they aren't as unshakable as they seem. And obviously, we talked about this last week as well. Like one of the reasons that the U.S. like funds Israel for everything is because we look at them as our like watchdog in the Middle East and we count on them to be able to carry out our sort of Middle East proxy wars. So they don't want us thinking that Hamas can put up a fight against them. It's important to cover up any time that that happens. Just just for my clarity, just so I can mm-hmm. have it spelled out, the States and Europe, I guess, and the UK are funding Israel. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we give them tons and tons of money, um, mm. both and weapons. We, we send weapons there. I know Britain definitely like the uk definitely like sends money i don't know how much they're involved in like the military element of it but the us for sure not only Mm -hmm. sends weapons but works in tandem with israel to create weapons which is why they have some of like the most incredible military um hardware in the world and create things like you know the the iron dome which basically stops missiles from hitting them um you know they have software like surveillance software that now our cops use that they developed it in israel to surveil the people in gaza so they take that stuff that they deploy against the people there and deploy it against american citizens afterwards uh so yeah they it's crazy (laughs) this is absolute bonkersness um but that's what we get out of this relationship uh with israel Um, So when the attack happened on October 7th, it's likely that Hamas was expecting far more resistance from the Israelis. And instead, it ended up being like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, Bakoni said, instead of any form of effective defense on the Israeli side, what we saw was a complete shattering of this illusion. We saw the reality that actually Israel's army is not invincible and that the blockade that is placed around the Gaza Strip is perfectly penetrable and that Hamas was able to overturn Israel's myth of invincibility very, very quickly. And that would seem like a win for Hamas, except that this means that they very likely weren't prepared for the scale of the retaliation that would come as a result. Israel always hits back harder than they were hit, but killing over a thousand people and taking 200 hostages was un unprecedented a lot of folks have reacted to this with a sort of like yeah well then what did they expect you know like they killed all these people of course israel was gonna come and and smash them to bits uh but when it comes down to it they did not expect their attack to be that efficient which is one of the reasons why i'm or, or have been so vague on who the fuck do you root for here right yeah understandably because yeah yeah you you can you can understand why because there's there's like massive brutality happening on both sides and and i don't really right and one of the things i think you know that's perfectly valid especially when you don't have any context right yes, yes, <laughs> like yes, yes, because yes, yes. that's kind of how it was presented right is like you know everything was like super peaceful there was a ceasefire everything was great you know, and then Hamas came in out of nowhere and just slaughtered a whole bunch of people as opposed to like, you know, this is 
people who were being slaughtered daily before this even happened uh -huh. coming in and fighting back against people who have been doing this. Um, and that's not, of course, to defend the killing of civilians, but also one of the things that, you know, Hamas has said in press releases and things like that is that, like, that was not expected either, <laughs> that, you know, their expectation was an engagement on a military level um, and that, yeah, this was how it ended up sort of playing out. Again, that's not to excuse it. I'm not... We'll get into the complication of all of this kind of stuff, but that is to say, like, when you put this in context, it didn't happen out of nowhere. They didn't just go and yeah, yeah, yeah. kill a shit ton of people because, you know, they were bored one day or whatever. It was part of an active, you know, war that has been happening for decades here. Um, Let's see. Where was I? Oh, so this is why, you know, this being a much bigger thing than... <laughs> than they expected is why Hamas keeps being like, hey, we'll give these people back to you if you stop bombing us and give us the hostages that you took. Israel keeps rejecting that because they don't want the hostages. In fact, they've killed many of the hostages. Uh, they want to level Gaza and then build settlements there. And thus, there's no benefit for Hamas to make concessions. Israel has already said they're not going to stop killing Palestinians. So why would they be like, oh, OK, well, here are the hostages out of the goodness of our hearts then. In fact, just this morning, I saw two stories on Al Jazeera, one of which Netanyahu said that even if they make a deal with Hamas, they're still going to invade Rafah. And one in which Israel's defense minister said that they are going to continue bombing Lebanon, even if a truce is reached in Gaza. So they plan to continue the violence yeah, yeah. and eradication no matter what they do. So why giving back the hostages is not an answer. You know, when people get on on social media and comment, like just release the hostages or Hamas should surrender. What they're really saying is that Israel should be able to eradicate them without pushback. The only thing that causes Israel any pause is the bad PR they get when Israeli soldiers are killed. So if Gaza doesn't want to be wiped off the map, they have to keep killing Israelis. This You see this, happening a lot that like you know one of the reasons that there is so much pushback within israel is because people are fed up with israeli soldiers getting killed and with the hostages not being returned they're like what are you doing like you're letting our people die and that actually gets pushed back against the government if it was simply like oh they're over there killing palestinians then nobody would fucking care mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's in hamas's best interest to you know make sure that Gaza isn't leveled by keeping those hostages mm -hmm. and killing more Israeli soldiers. And here's the thing. <laughs> I don't give a fuck what you think of Hamas. Like, it's complicated for people in Gaza, too. Palestinians aren't a monolith. Their previous leaders, who still lead the occupied West Bank, were secular leftists. So the idea that they're all super pumped on conservative Muslims being in charge is obviously not true. Uh, and by many accounts, because Hamas is a conservative Muslim organization, they have been extremely brutal and repressive to the people there. And they shut down any form of resistance to them and things like that. So, like, Hamas is not necessarily good, guys. That's what, not what I'm trying to say here. And what does that oppression look like? Like, as in, you know, there's harsh sort of like a, a brand of Sharia law that is being yeah, carried yeah, yeah, out okay. there. So it's, you know, it has very restrictive things for, for women, for the way that yeah. you practice your religion. It is not huge on the Christians in Palestine, things like that. Um, but like, moreover, the fact that like they don't leave any room for people to fight them. Like you can't there's no opposition party 
to Hamas in Gaza because they will not allow that. And they, you know, imprison and torture people who, you know, try to push back against them in that way. So, you know, this is complicated for people in Gaza as well. It ultimately is what it is. But in times like these, their popularity grows hugely because they're the only group who has any means to fight back at all against Israel. And because they are still a social entity, they do what they can to, like, provide food and water and take care of people. Like, they have built, you know, infrastructure that makes Palestinians extremely educated, that tries to keep them from going hungry and all of these kinds of stuff. They've tried to create, like, welfare uh, mm. within Gaza. So, again, complicated. <laughs> you know, this is uh, not like a sort of black and white, like, good guys and bad guys situation. Um, and the people of Gaza feel that way too. Many are vehemently against um, Hamas and many support Hamas. But during times of war like this, where they're being so unilaterally slaughtered, that uh, backing for them increases hugely. Um, Netanyahu has said that there will never be a Palestinian state, period. They will either wipe these people out entirely or they will continue having them live in an open air prison. And we want them to condemn the one group of people fighting for their freedom. Like the U.S. had a violent and bloody revolution against England because of taxes. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to think of people whose literal caloric intake is being restricted by Israel should just sit back and take it. For the response to Israel killing over 13,000 children to be, well, they shouldn't have voted for Hamas is truly unhinged, monstrous logic. They've had their pound of flesh and then some. As trans-Jewish lawyer Cheryl Weichel put it in a Blue Sky thread, when you force someone into a campaign of violent resistance, they're not going to turn to three philosophers and a poet to lead them. They won't have time to run background checks, and they aren't going to care if the people they turn to are slightly shady, because that's a luxury colonized people don't have. They need people good at killing, and people good at killing are usually not the best folks around. But here's the reality. When you force people into violent resistance, who they turn to and what they become is on you. You put them there. You made them that. And you can't complain that your inhumanity has damaged their humanity. Which is absolutely correct. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the best summary we've had in the last four weeks of the situation. Yeah, 100%. Like, just casually tossed out in a blue blue sky thread. But yeah. I mean, that is so spot on to what is happening in this situation. Mm. Um, and such a, a perfect answer to the the critiques of, of what's going on. Um, approval of Hamas in the West Bank leapt from 12% in September of 2023 to 44% in December, just three months later, because of what was going on. Meanwhile, support for the U.S.-backed anti-Hamas Palestinian president Mahmoud Abbas has plummeted, with 90% of Palestinians saying he should resign. Uh, and this is ironic in and of itself because Abbas is part of Fatah, the very same group that initially Israel let Hamas trounce. But Fatah supports the blockade of Gaza in order to weaken Hamas and supports a diplomatic solution rather than a military solution to the conflict with Israel. Abbas lamented the violence on both sides after October 7th and called for the release of the hostages. And as you can imagine, a people who have been slaughtered in the streets for months are not interested in wishy-washy both sidesism from someone who thinks it's fine that they live in a concentration camp. They want action, which they see themselves getting from Hamas. 
And what really gets me is that Netanyahu's government is a transparent, far-right extremist government. Uh, and American liberals will still support all of this because of our unquestioning fealty to Israel. We know Netanyahu is bad. Biden has been, quote unquote, leaked saying how bad he is, which is obviously a transparent attempt to make it seem he, like he's just like us. Like, yeah, of course. Gosh, guys, he's such a bad dude. Wish there was something mm. we could do about it. <laughs> but meanwhile, we keep approving massive amounts of aid to help him continue the ethnic cleansing and genocide of Israel. Israeli anti-Zionist scholar Ilan Pape said of what's happening in Gaza right now that it's the worst he's ever seen. That in the past, he would have dubbed what was going on ethnic cleansing in class. In fact, that was, you know, in the title of his book. Um, and that's terrible in and of itself. But he wouldn't have called it genocide. This, on the other hand, is. And it's mirroring the very genocide that Israel keeps chastising us for referencing. The Holocaust. Israel's national security advisor said... There could not be a situation in which children and women approach us from the wall. Anyone must receive a bullet. Human rights watchdog Euromed Monitor noted, groups of 10 to 20 Israeli civilians at a time were permitted to watch and laughingly film Palestinian prisoners and detainees in their underwears, underwear as they were tortured and abused by Israeli soldiers. Civilians allowed to watch them being tortured for fun. Mm. As the Palestine Chronicle noted, Zionism, uh, Zionist ideology calls for racial purity of Jews in Palestine, of course, at the expense of the native inhabitants of the land. To achieve this, millions of Palestinians had to be forced into exile. Hundreds of thousands needed to be killed, wounded or incarcerated. The current Israeli government sees this war as an opportunity to finish what Israel started with the Nakba which was a failure in that they were unable to completely eradicate the Arabs from the region and thus still have to deal with them. Now, if there's one book that I've read and recommended over the course of this series that I think everyone should read, it's the one I'm going to close this by talking about. The 51 Day War by Max Blumenthal. Reading this brought back memories for me of what it was like first learning about the Holocaust when I was in fifth grade. Uh, we read the book, The Devil's Arithmetic, which was about a girl from 1988 who gets transported back in time during her family's Passover Seder and ends up in a concentration camp. And I remember every detail of that book. It really scarred me. And then after that, uh, she had us watch um, Schindler's List as it was airing on NBC without commercials. Coincidentally, almost exactly 27 years ago, February 23rd, 1997. Weirdly, every week of this series, I've managed to talk about something that happened on nearly the same date as we recorded, which is odd. Uh, but anyway, mm. all this stuff uh, had a huge impact on me. I had nightmares about the Holocaust. Uh, my best friend at the time was a Jewish girl from South Africa, and I constantly thought about what people in her family must have endured, even though we never really addressed her own familiar experiences and what they'd been. Uh, but all that to say that the atrocities really stuck with me and, and being a pretty empathetic person, it was impossible for me to fathom being the kind of person who could inflict that kind of pain on someone else or who could sit by and do nothing as it happened. It was just so horrifying to me. And there have obviously been a few other times over the course of my life that I've encountered things that are similarly horrendous that shake me to my core. I mean, we're constantly finding out about some horrendous 
genocide happening in in Africa that makes me want to die. Like there's these things that come up uh, over and over over the course of my life. And this book is one of those things that brought back all those feelings that I had as an 11 year old hearing about the Holocaust for the first time. The depths of the dehumanization and callousness and the gleeful violence inflicted upon the Palestinians is beyond my ability to properly convey, uh, but I'm going to try. <laughs> um, but pick up the book, read read this one, The 51 Day War by Max Blumenthal. So in 2014, three Israeli teenagers were abducted and killed by a rogue Hamas cell who thought that if they kept the kids hostage, they could arrange a prisoner swap with Israel. One of the teens attempted to call the police from his cell phone, and in a panic, the kidnappers shot them and buried them in a shallow grave. Netanyahu found out about this shortly thereafter, having heard the recording of the call made to the police and easily tracking down the culprits. But he kept that to himself and his people. Seeing an opportunity to start a war, he had the police tell the teens' parents that the kids were still alive and a gag order was issued to prevent journalists from giving any details of what had happened, including the suspect. This was because that rogue cell who did it was known for going rogue and for violating Hamas ceasefires with Israel. Hamas had no fucking clue about the kidnapping, but Netanyahu didn't want the Israeli people to know that. He set his sights on the power-sharing government of Hamas and Fatah, meanwhile, they worked to, meanwhile working to cover up the murder of two unarmed Palestinian boys by IDF soldiers around the same time. They went before the UN and demanded to know why the international community wasn't helping them to reclaim these poor kidnapped kids, even circulating the hashtag, bring back our boys on Twitter, echoing Michelle Obama's Bring Back Our Girls campaign after the kidnapping of Nigerian schoolgirls by, uh, by Islamist militants. It was brilliant propaganda, and the U.S. fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And Israel used it to rampage through the West Bank in what they called Operation Brothers Keeper. Under the pretenses of looking for these boys that they already knew were dead, they raided schoolhouses, coffee shops, and private homes, making mass arrests of people who were nowhere near and had nothing to do with the kidnapping. Israel caged in Hebron, trapping 680,000 people inside. Meanwhile, the people of Israel were in a rage. One Facebook page demanding that Israel execute one Palestinian prisoner for every hour the teens weren't returned home. It was 18 days before the bodies were finally found, and at this point, the floodgates of Israeli rage burst open. Netanyahu called the Palestinian people human animals, and Israeli public sentiment was with him, especially among young Israelis who assembled in Jerusalem chanting death to Arabs and trying to find any Palestinian they could to assault. Politician Eilat Shaked, 38 at the time, said that Palestinians are all enemy combatants, including the mothers of the martyrs who send them to hell with flowers and kisses. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more justice. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they raised the snakes, Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. And as angry Israelis searched for anybody upon whom they could inflict revenge, they came across 16-year-old Muhammad Abu Qadir sitting on a stone wall outside his, outside his house, gazing at the olive groves. Three men pretended to ask him for directions, then threw him in their car and drove off, locals trying in vain to chase after the car and help him. Hours later, his body was found. He had been bludgeoned unconscious, covered in gasoline, and then burned alive. 
And while it was clearly an Israeli revenge killing, the Israeli media insisted that it was actually a Muslim honor crime and his own family had done it because they found out he was gay. As the truth came out, Kadir's family was punished. Several of his relatives arrested, beaten, their homes ransacked. And this was just the beginning of the horrors that would befall the Palestinians in what would come to be known as the 51-Day War in 2014. At the end of seven weeks, over 2,000 people were killed, the vast majority of which were Palestinian civilians. And that number feels like almost nothing now, given the extent of the current genocide, but obviously Mm. that's a huge amount of people. (laughs) Like, you know, in a small area, 2,000 people, that's almost 9-11's worth of people, and we're from a country of bajillions of people. I'm not going to go into all of the back and forth military actions between Israel and Hamas. Again, read the book if you want to know all of those details. But what I want to harp on is the treatment of Palestinian civilians as all of this was happening. And I want to talk about that for two reasons. For one, I think it's important to see the level of brutality Palestinians were dealing with um, and continue to deal with. But for two, because so many people are under that delusion that all of the poor treatment started after October 7th and that everything was fine before that, but Hamas fucked it up. That's not the case. Israel has always looked for a single inch from which they could take a mile in retaliation, using their vast propaganda resources to convince the world that it's all part of their right to defend themselves. But that's simply not the case. It's been a 75-year project of trying to eradicate a people and using unthinkable levels of violence and oppression to do it. On July 16th, 2014, Israeli gunboats began shelling a beach where several young Palestinian boys were playing, a beach where a group of journalists happened to be looking on from the Aldera Hotel restaurant 200 meters away. The boys tried to run from the explosions, tried to wave down the journalists for help, And as the journalists watched in horror, shouting, they're only children, the gunships murdered all the boys who had just been playing hide-and-seek. Four brothers from a family of fishermen that was aligned with Fatah, not Hamas. And because this was witnessed by a bevy of journalists, there are photos all over the internet of the carnage. But of course, they weren't allowed to publish this in any of their publications because it was too gory. But all these kids were blown to pieces for the crime of simply playing on the beach while Palestinian. In Cairo, where negotiations between Hamas and the Netanyahu government were being held, Gaza was offered a temporary ceasefire, but with no humanitarian concessions, and with the caveat that Israel could keep assassinating Hamas leadership during the ceasefire. And our man over here, John Kerry, was like, Hamas should definitely take this deal or it's going to have a huge impact on their people. But the deal was just to go back to violent occupation, starvation, and oppression, and Israel will try not to kill as many civilians, no promises. And as Israel basically told Hamas to fuck off with its demands, they meanwhile headed into a population center called Shijaya, east of Gaza City, where they would proceed to absolutely fuck shit up. Hamas soldiers roundly trounced them, or at least insofar as Hamas had the power to do that. They put up a good fight, killing a handful and wounding dozens, a thing that hadn't really happened before in an actual battle between Israel and Hamas. And this was a disaster for Israel. So they changed their tactic. Fuck fighting with people with guns and training. They'd go after the civilians instead. From here, they implemented a strategy they referred to as mowing the lawn. And it's as dehumanizing and horrifying as it sounds. The Israeli military began launching shells into Gaza indiscriminately. According to a Pentagon briefing, Israel had deployed 11 battalions of heavy 
artillery against Shujaya. This meant that at least 258 artillery pieces blasted the neighborhood with some 7,000 high-exploding shells, including 4,800 during a seven-hour period. One Israeli soldier explained that they were firing a shell into Gaza every two minutes, signing them with cute little messages to the people they were killing. Quote, the shelling depicted in the news piece appeared to be so random that the soldiers must have had little idea where the munitions were falling. And the atmosphere was so casual, they had time to play backgammon and eat delivered sushi in the shade. By the end of the assault, the neighbors' stately homes were reduced to rubble and blackened concrete shells, making the area pretty much uninhabitable. Homes had been vandalized with Stars of David on the furniture and on the walls. Yaakov Katz wrote in the Jerusalem Post that the IDF is using this as an opportunity to do some maintenance work in Gaza and to mow the lawn, so to speak. And otherwise, in other words, sometimes you had to go in and do a little indiscriminate murder to keep things tidy. The Israeli human rights group B'Salem found that the IDF was using an open fire policy in which residential buildings were attacked from the air or ground, causing them to collapse on entire families. This meant that they could be very efficient in massacring civilians without the risk of IDF deaths since they were firing from the air. And in Shujaya, Israel had used U.S.-made 155-millimeter howitzers with a kill radius of 164 feet. According to a senior U.S. military officer, the only possible reason for doing that is to kill a lot of people in as short a period of time as possible. It's not mowing the lawn. It's removing the topsoil. One Palestinian, Tamar Atash, recalled watching his neighbors jump from fourth floor windows as their homes burst into flames. Quote, we said our last prayers and that was it, because we know that when the Israelis lose one of their soldiers, they become lunatics. We just knew they had suffered something. We could sense it. Which is like, oh, chilling, right? Mm. You know that if, if an Israeli soldier dies, they are going to wreak havoc on everybody, like... That's a horrifying knowledge to to keep. Um, in one home, Blumenthal was told that four of a man's brothers were all executed, including his mentally disabled brother, who likely had no idea he was about to be killed. On July 20th, during a temporary ceasefire, 23-year-old Salem Shamali went to search for missing family members, along with volunteers from the International Solidarity Movement, all clad in green to indicate that they were rescue personnel. Despite this, a sniper shot Salem, and as he tried to stand up, he was hit by another sniper, uh, another sniper shot to the chest. And finally, a third shot killed him during a ceasefire with rescue workers. When his family was finally able to retrieve his body, it was burnt beyond recognition and had been thrown dozens of meters from where he died from bombardments that had occurred afterwards. And because Israel had killed so many civilians, the cemetery in Shujaya was too full to bury him. They, event they eventually had to place him in a grave that was already occupied. On the 22nd of July, Israeli forces abducted local Imam Khalil al-Najjar, stripping him naked and parading him through the streets. <laughs> they then tried to get information on Hamas out of him, which he did not have. And when that didn't work, they brought him out into the street and had him call all of the young men to assemble outside, a thing they did because they were used to his trusted voice calling them to prayer. The men were then all separated from their families and taken to prison. The mosque was bulldozed and another blown up with C4. 
On August 2nd, a humanitarian ceasefire was called, and as the carnage was being surveyed, the body of a teenage girl was found among the many corpses, a few feet away from the wheelchair she'd used in life. Her name was Gadir, and she was with her family as they tried to escape an Israeli assault on their neighborhood. She was severely mentally disabled, and her family asked soldiers for permission to pass into Khan Yunus, where there would be an ambulance for her. Instead, the soldiers opened fire on them from tanks. Gadir couldn't get away. She was found filled with shrapnel and partly decomposed, ripped apart by tank fire. When her family tried to bury her, Israeli drones fired five rockets into the graveyard. Khuza, where she had been trying to escape, was hell. Civilians were doing everything they could to keep soldiers from killing them, including tearing off their clothes and lying on the ground shouting civilians in hope that this would prove they were unarmed and not a threat because they'd seen it in other videos. A soldier on a tank told an elderly man to step forward from a group of terrified civilians that were hiding behind a mound of dirt. When he emerged, the soldier shot him to death. The soldier called another man forward and made him strip naked and turn around. The group was then allowed to march behind the naked man amidst shelling of the road they were on, surrounded by corpses. Some of them were unable to avoid the shelling and died on this macabre march. This one really, really gets me. It's <laughs> like straight yeah, out yeah, of Auschwitz. Tell. Yeah, just calling someone forward and murdering them in front of a bunch of terrified people who don't know if they're going to be next or not. It's horrifying. Similarly, an ambulance driver named Mohammed Abdallah, who had come with two others to collect the body of a man who'd been lashed to a tree by both arms and shot in the leg, was told to exit his vehicle, walk five meters forward, and switch on a flashlight. When he did, they shot him in the chest and killed him. Even in semi-safe areas, there was ever-present danger. Israel's spot and strike system is an automated weapon apparatus controlled by female soldiers at Negev Desert Army Base. If one of them notices someone whose gate matches the gate of a terrorist, they aim remotely, press a button, and Which kill them. Which is what exactly? Right? However a terrorist walks. You know, that's a thing we all know and can decide and just snipe someone out of existence as a result of. Fucking mm. insanity. And the last story I'll tell you is another that shakes me to my core. That's the story of 19-year-old Mahmoud Abu Saeed. And I'm just going to take this straight from the book instead of trying to paraphrase sure, it. Sure, 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 sure. <sighs> the entire Abu Saeed family had gathered at his spacious home, including 30 cousins. When a platoon of Israeli troops appeared on the dirt road outside the house, the terror began. The soldiers ordered the family to evacuate the house under the shelling their army had just initiated. Then they summoned Mahmoud's father, Abdul Hadi El Said. As soon as he appeared at his doorstep, they asked him if he spoke Hebrew. When he answered in the affirmative, the soldiers shot him in the chest, leaving him to die. While the other members of the family fled to safety in the urban center of Rafa, the soldiers grabbed Mahmoud and didn't allow him to leave. Mahmoud said the, Mahmoud said the Israeli troops dragged him back into his house, blindfolded him, and wrapped him in a blanket on the floor. They began to blow holes in the walls to use as makeshift sni sniper slits, what U.S. troops in Afghanistan called murder holes. The soldiers then stripped Mahmoud to his underwear, handcuffed him, and slammed him against a wall and began to beat him. With an M16 at his back, they forced him to stand in front of open windows as they hunted his fleeing neighbors, sniping directly beside him and over his shoulders at virtually anything that moved. When they were not using him as a human shield, Mahmoud said the soldiers left him alone in the room with a muzzled army dog who was off the leash. After all that, 
He was blindfolded and taken to jail where he was routinely beaten and questioned about Hamas tunnel networks and resistance activities for six days before he was released. This goes on and on and on. One Israeli death or humiliation, and that's the pretense for wholesale wholesale torture and slaughter of the Palestinians. And our government government sanctions it because, well, Israel has the right to defend itself. Mm. And there's a quote Blumenthal took down from someone he met there referring to a boy traumatized by the violence. He said, that kid wants to make an atomic bomb and obliterate Israel. Why? Because he saw his family members die in front of him. How can you raise kids to want to make bombs? And this is why, like I said, I don't give a shit what you think about Hamas and why it doesn't matter what I think about Hamas. You can't sanction horrific crimes against humanity and then be like, whoa, why are these kids so mad? Why do they support this violent group? What we Westerners think of Hamas is utterly irrelevant, completely. We are funding the occupying force that is murdering families, leaving their orphaned and traumatized kids with few other options than maybe being able to get a little revenge. As Blumenthal points out in the beginning of the book, the two million people in Gaza are mostly under the age of 18. And because of the restrictions put on them by Israel, most of them have never and will never see anywhere other than Gaza. They have nothing to look forward to but more death and illness and starvation. And I'm simply not going to focus my energy on telling them love conquers hate. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to focus on telling our people and our government that we need to stop this. So I return to the question that I asked last week. Pragmatically and realistically, how does this get fucking resolved? Yeah, that is the question. And I think, you know, what I like to think is that because for the first time really ever, yeah. there is massive pushback yeah. um, from people all over the world that, you know, we can see in the change in like Biden's rhetoric about this and the people who who speak for Biden about this um that they realize this is unpopular mm. um and and you know however facetious you might have been being like and serious at the same time like this is probably going to hand trump the election you know he's not that he's better on israel and palestine he absolutely is supports the same slaughter but this has lost biden so much support you know, um, and so they're trying to change the tack with which they talk about this to try to act like we're doing our best to prevent the loss of civilian life and our hands are tied. But like we really we don't want them to do this, you know, um, and just even seeing that minor change shows that it's like there we know there has to be something that we fix about this policy in the Middle East, you know. Um, and so, like, I think as as a people, as citizens of the world, whether Americans, British, Irish, you know, whatever Europeans, people in Africa, it doesn't matter where you are. What we can do is is assemble and talk about it and, you know, spread all of this kind of stuff and make sure that, you know, it is clear that we we want an end to it and that we know who the bad guy is. Um, and, you know, that involves telling that to people around us that involves um 
contacting the people who represent us, you know, making hard phone calls like that or sending emails, um, whatever the case may be, and just making it clear, like, people, you you lose our vote. That's non-negotiable. <laughs> like, you can't skirt by like this and be like, oh, okay, I hear you. But, like, literally, mm. you lose our vote if if you keep supporting this stuff. Um, I think that's, like, the first step and it seems very minor but a lot of people have a hard time making that step <laughs> um, but also we see what that's doing we see that even in minor rhetorical changes that it's an acknowledgement that this is not going to stand and I hope that as such that actually leads to something and not just all of us sitting here watching uh, as you know over the next few months Netanyahu manages to bomb them out of existence because the thing about this is that you know 20 years from now how we're going to look at this right sure we all know that we're going to look back and go like god that was that was awful that they genocided all those people you know we're going to have days of mourning and remembrance and shit like that and we're going to pretend that nothing could have been done about it i hope that we do something before it's just a foregone conclusion like that What does it make you want to do, Mark? What is it? Where does this put you? Uh, I mean, as as you've been talking over the last kind of 15, 20 minutes, I, I, I'm wondering to myself, what are my lines of communication with who are going to be our incoming uh, ruling party? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, every single poll is indicating a change of government. Yeah. And, you know, and I would be I would be astounded were we still to have a conservative government, you know, six months from now, eight months from now, whenever the election is towards the end of this year. So I'm wondering what are my lines of contact with, mm. you know, with my representatives, be it local or national. Yeah. Um. And Which is like huge in and of itself, because I know like Starmer supports Israel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, having those lines of communi communications and, you know, getting other people, you know, to say to whoever is running in your localities and things like that, like, tell them you don't get my vote if you yeah if you support this, you know, like, especially on those smaller levels, people are more likely to listen than, yeah, you know, indeed. You try that on Rishi Sunak. What the fuck does he care? But, exactly, exactly. You know, but the person who is local to you, if they realize their constituents are not going to vote for them because of this, yeah. that's huge. It's a huge deal. Yeah. So that, I'm I'm thinking along those lines. That's where my head is at. I'd like, I'd like to, if 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 we are about to elect in another Israel supporting party, I would like at least at a local level to be told why. Mm, yeah you know? absolutely absolutely yeah that's what we need to demand i think is you know mm. go ahead say it to my face tell me why exactly exactly we that, support yeah. this right uh, and you know explain to me why thirteen thousand dead children doesn't move you why mm. you know to reverse what you were talking about with ukraine uh that it is mostly women and children who have died in Gaza. And that's intentional, as we can see from the strategy sure. that I just talked about. They don't want to fight. Be they don't want to fight Hamas. 
you know, uh, fighting Hamas is uh, they might get their ass kicked. You know, they are going to fight the most vulnerable people in the in the community uh, because that's how they win. Um, and that's how they eradicate a people. Like you said, also like this, you know, get them from the kids and now you have no one to grow up into your enemy. Um, and, you know, they deal with the mines and all that kind of stuff there as well. It's a yeah, I think we have to be confrontational about all of this stuff, you know, and really take that mandate seriously. It, it's the the thing that people always wonder, right? You always wonder when you're growing up, what would I have done during mm. the Holocaust? What would I have done during the civil rights movement? What would I have done during X atrocity that was happening to people? And now here's here's a chance where you get to find out what you would have done you know you're in it and what are you what are you gonna do and hopefully uh you want to look back and say i did something what in my limited power i could do yeah 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 i did that beautifully put as always corrigan <laughs> thank you marco do you want to yeah. send our our dear listeners out on a a high note or on a moment of i don't know a... uh look these last four weeks uh, have been a a moment to reflect, a moment to clear up some fucking, you know, some grey areas of my knowledge. And and uh, while the journey hasn't been pleasant, it's one I'm grateful of having taken. You're here mm. with you. I learned a lot too. I've <laughs> read a lot. Uh, and yeah, it makes me miserable, but in a way that, you know, is galvanizing. And I hope it has been uh, for those of you who are at home listening as well. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Um, lot more Joag everywhere you would fucking seek to find it. And we'll talk to you next week. Stay spooky.